Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, let me lead us in prayer as we stand. Heavenly Father, we do indeed pray that uh, we will... Uh, we will do what we've just sung about, that we will trust in you as we turn to the scriptures now. We'll trust in you alone. And as we hear your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, speak this morning, we pray that we would trust him and respond as he wants to his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, please do sit down. And uh, if you could turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, um, and we're on page 977. Page 977, Matthew 11, starting at verse 25. Um, There's also an outline on the the back of the service sheet. If you want to follow along or make notes, uh, then please do that. I was away uh, part of last week camping in the Lake District uh, with my son uh, Sam, who's uh, 14 years old, and he really enjoys uh, that sort of thing, even when it's freezing, freezing cold uh, in April. And part of the reason for us going away like that was to listen together to some CDs in the car, um, some talks on adolescence. Uh, We were a little apprehensive about this, both of us, I think, but they actually turned out to be uh, very good. I don't know about Sam, but I found them personally uh, very helpful, which may tell you something about my levels of emotional uh, development and maturity, Uh, but let's not go there just now. Now, one um, one of the talks I found particularly helpful was the one we listen to on the dangers of conformity, which of course is a big issue if you're an adolescent. But I'd like to suggest it's not just a big issue if you're an adolescent, it's a big issue for all of us. And what the speaker did in that talk was describe a, a, what is now a quite famous experiment. It's an experiment you may have heard of. It's a, a, a psychology experiment where you get a group of people and you show them a card on which is drawn a, a number of, of lines of different lengths And all the group have to do is individually say which of the lines they think is the longest line. An experiment is a setup. All but one of the group have been told to say that the second longest line is the longest line. So the experiment's all about that that one person who hasn't been told to do that. What are they going to say? What are they going to say? And the remarkable result from that experiment is that in 75% of cases that person 
goes with the group opinion uh, rather than what is clearly and obviously right. Conformity then, if we didn't know it, it's confirmed by that experience, it's a hugely powerful force. We like, I think, to think that we can resist it. But there are times when it's hugely difficult to go against the flow, even, even when we know it's the right thing to do. And in the passage that we've just had read to us from Matthew's Gospel, this is Matthew 11, verses 25 through to 30, uh, the people Jesus is addressing in that passage are indeed facing exactly that kind of pressure, a very similar problem to the one faced by someone in that experiment. See, what's been happening is that Jesus has come with what is clearly and obviously the truth. He's come with a compelling message about the kingdom of the heavens, that they are near and that you need to respond, and it's urgent. But the problem is that around these people are just many, many others who haven't responded to that message. Uh, you can see that if you just look back to verse 21. It's just on the, on the previous page in the Bibles. Jesus here is reflecting upon some of the unresponsiveness to his message, some of the towns that he's spoken in and where he's performed miracles. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. The miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, notorious cities in, in the past. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So the message is clear. It sounds compelling. And yet, many haven't responded. This has left others feeling torn. They are, if you like, in the twilight zone between the the darkness of life under the shadow of death and coming fully into the light. On the one hand, Jesus, uh, what Jesus says does seem to be right and true. He does seem to be like a light shining in the darkness, uh, providing a solution to the deep weariness of, of life and death and struggle and sorrow. But on the other hand, there are many people who simply haven't seen that and they're not responding. Well, just like those people in the first century, you too might feel yourself in that kind of torn position this morning. Uh, Perhaps, for example, you're relatively new to hearing the Christian message. You know, it's interesting. It sounds compelling. You're not yet sure about it. It seems to be something that addresses your condition. It seems to provide hope in the turmoil of life. It seems to address that kind of tiredness and weariness and grief that affects us all. It seems right, in other words. But the problem is, uh, there are so many, aren't there? There's so many who have heard this message and not responded. And that may be holding you back at this point Why have they not responded? If it's true, why have they not responded? Or perhaps you're in a different situation. Perhaps you've been coming along for years and years, interested, but never quite making that final step of commitment to the Lord Jesus. Or perhaps, and this could encompass all of us, perhaps we're trying to persevere in the Christian life, and yet we look around us and we see so many people apparently just getting on with life, Apparently, most of the time, at least, quite happy to do that without Jesus. And as we think about that and think about some of the struggles of persevering as a Christian, the doubts are creeping in. And the pressure to conform to the culture around us can sometimes be very strong indeed. 
Well, the purpose of these few verses in Matthew uh, chapter 11 is to persuade you that what Jesus has said is indeed true. It is a revelation of the truth from God himself. What's more, there's another explanation for why some people are not responding to Jesus other than that they know better. That's what we assume, isn't it? Perhaps they know better. But there's another explanation. And if, as we begin to look at these verses together this morning, you begin to find yourself being persuaded of these things, then this is God revealing the truth to you. This is your opportunity uh, to respond. Your Father God is revealing something very great to you as one of his little children, and he's doing it through these words of Jesus Christ. And I hope we're going to see tomorrow morning that through these verses, Jesus is indeed calling each of us personally, come to me, exchange your heavy burden for what will yet prove to be a much, much lighter one. Come to me in your tiredness and in your weariness. Find rest for your souls. Don't be held back by those around you. Find rest for your souls. And we're going to look at what Jesus says here in three parts, uh, beginning with verses 25 and 26. Why should someone take notice of Jesus when so few around them seem to be doing so? Well, first of all, because the Father is revealing great things to some, although not to others. The Father is revealing great things to some, although not to others. Let me read from verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. So here, I suppose, we have the issues set out before us. We've got two groups, haven't we? We've got the wise, the so-called wise and learned, and it seems that they have not recognized Jesus. They have not heard his message concerning the kingdom of the heavens and they have not responded. And there's another group. There's some people who have seen and recognized Jesus, uh, but they are not in the first group. They're not among the wise and the learned. Jesus calls them here little children. That is, they're those who are utterly dependent, not wise, not learned, utterly dependent on someone else. But why has that first group not responded while the second group has. Well, Jesus tells us very clearly and and plainly, doesn't he, that what has happened is that the Father has hidden these things from the first group and revealed it, revealed them to the other. Why has he done that? Well, Jesus says it was for his good pleasure. And uh, Jesus doesn't say any more than that here. Although I guess we would we'd quite like him to. And there's much more we could say about that. Um, but I suppose there's always going to be some mystery about this, isn't, it? isn't there? Why, why God reveals himself to some and not to others. There is some mystery, but we can perhaps begin to see how it serves his glory. To magnify his grace, to choose those who are humble and un- undeserving and know it and to hide himself from those who think they know better than he does. We can perhaps begin to see how that serves his glory. But actually, trying to work all that out is not the big issue here. The big issue here is is to try to work out the implications of the fact that the Father is doing this. You see, what it means critically 
is that that first group, the wise and learned, are, are not choosing to ignore Jesus because they are wise or learned. The self-styled wise and learned do not respond because they are in this regard, in this instance, ignorant. They have not been given access to the crucial knowledge that would make all the difference. So the lesson as Jesus comes to speak to us this morning is not to be intimidated by such people. Not to be intimidated by the apparently wise and learned. Even if they're close to you. Even if you respect them. Even if they exude authority and gravitas and influence. There is a good reason, Jesus is telling us, why they have ignored Jesus. And it's nothing to do with their intelligence or education. Now remember back to the experiment I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, suppose it was different. You know, suppose you too were told that the other group members had been primed to give the wrong answer. Now what would happen in that experiment? I, I think that the results would be fairly clear, wouldn't they? We wouldn't have anyone really uh, going along with it. There wouldn't be that same pressure to conform. You just look at the longest line and say, That's the longest line. Well, likewise here. This is how it works. Once we know why people aren't responding to Jesus, that it is the Father's good pleasure to withhold himself from some, that takes away then the pressure to conform. For example, many Christians find their relationship to, to unbelieving parents greatly strained. That can be a great pressure on them after all parents are people who who should command our respect so that when they think we're doing something crazy it can really hurt and it may affect our faith I I know something of this from from personal experience when Catherine and I responded to Jesus' call uh, Jesus called to to come to him uh, just as we're looking at here it was 21 years ago Uh, but one of the things that happened there is that our parents uh, who, who are not Christians were quite alarmed, actually quite alarmed at what we were doing. You know, have they been taken over by some sect? Have they been brainwashed? What is this Church of England? Is it safe? What's going on? Now they've come down a little over the years, now that they've seen that we've come to no great harm. But they remain bewildered and bemused by what we've done. They really just don't get it. And that can be, very, be a difficult pressure on us. And I know of uh, situations that are much, much harder than that, uh, where relations between uh, parents and their children are broken down completely. And that can, again, is a difficult pressure on someone, isn't it? Or, or worse still, say there's a split between husband and, and wife. Very, very hard. If someone you love and respect can't understand you in this area, the pressure to give in to them, the pressure to conform can be very great. And I suppose there are many other areas where we or other Christians may feel the pressure of the wise and learned to ignore Jesus. It could be at school, it could be at college, it could be in the academy, university, at work, in, po- in politics. So when I was working in the academy, for example, anything, even vaguely Christian, was treated extremely suspiciously. And in politics, I think it's, it's almost 
almost impossible to be a consistent Christian in this country and get, and get anywhere in politics. So strong is the, is the Christian faith dismissed publicly. Now, of course, it's, it's possible to fudge these things. You, you, can, you can become a, a kind of warm fudge kind of Christian, the kind of Christian whose faith conveniently comes and goes, uh, like the reception for Magic FM and the Chilterns, as someone uh, once said. Uh, you can be the kind of cultural Christian who doesn't really believe anything very much. Uh, you can be that kind of Christian and kind of get away with it, just about. But if we're to respond in the way that Jesus calls us to respond in these verses with the, the total commitment to him, then we're inevitably going to find ourselves swimming against the tide of popular opinion and wisdom. But the interesting thing is, and I hope you're noticing this, it has always been like that. We go right back to the beginning, right back to when the message was first told. This has always been an issue. And Jesus says the same to us today as he said back then, don't be deceived by the apparently wise and learned. On this, they are neither wise nor learned. They cannot be. Now, it's important as we look at that, these verses, uh, to be clear, I guess, uh, what Jesus is not saying. Uh, let me make it clear that he's not saying that people who happen to have a certain high level of intellectual capacity are permanently kept from the truth, while those who are less well endowed are, are, are allowed into it. You know, so if you've got an IQ over 120, then there's no hope for you at all. Uh, less than 80, perhaps, IQ, and, and you're in. And in between, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Now, what Jesus is saying here is, is not that. What Jesus is saying is though, that many who are considered or might consider themselves wise and learned have not had the truth revealed to them, while those who are not considered like that, the so-called little children, have. It is God's good pleasure to choose who to reveal this truth to. It's him in control, in other words. In other words, if the wise and, and learned were to humble themselves and to become like the second group, to become like the little children, utterly dependent on Jesus and his wisdom, then things would be different, very different. Now again, whether, whether or not that happens is, as Jesus says, down to the good pleasure of the Father. Nevertheless, we can be sure it does happen. It has happened. And we can think of some of the, the great intellectual heavyweights across church history, like, like, like Paul, the Apostle Paul, or Augustine, or Aquinas, or Calvin, or Edwards, or Pascal, all very, very clever people, but humbled by God and brought to be not, so to speak, wise and learned, but like little children. And what they found indeed, surprisingly, remarkably, is that true wisdom can only come through that process can only come through being humbled and we'll see that too shortly. So then, if we can't turn to the wise and learned uh, for the truth revealed by God the Father because they haven't been given it, where can we turn? Well, of course, we must turn to his son because verse 27, it only comes through his son and it only comes to those through whom the son chooses to reveal himself. Verse 27, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Know the Son? 
know Jesus and we can know the Father. Know the Father and we can know all his plans and purposes of the world. We can know about the coming kingdom, knowing that all things are going to be reunited under the rule of God in the future. We can know God and we can know that we will be there with him, enjoying him forever. Which should, I think, begin to address some of the problems we might have in going against the flow of popular wisdom. See, of course, remember, the, our issue really is, this, you know, it's kind of nice being accepted. It's kind of nice being appreciated or, or respected by important people or, or people we treat as important. You know, it hurts. It does hurt emotionally, doesn't it, to do something that replaces that with uh, hostility or mockery or, or derision. But just look in this verse at what, what is possible if we do turn to Jesus. In place of knowing or being accepted uh, uh, by the wise and learned, by the important, by the esteemed, we can come to know and be accepted by someone far greater, by God. More than that, by God as our Father. You see what a difference this makes? You know, it might be the case that my earthly father thinks I'm being deluded um, or I'm at university and a professor who knows that I'm a Christian might think that I'm stupid, really stupid. You know, there might be a million, million voices around me in the culture howling in derision. But if I can know and remember this, that God is my father and know his acceptance and know his love, then everything can change. So it's a great possibility. How then does it happen? How then does it happen? If God the Father is revealing great things to the humble, if it it comes only through his Son, then what's to be done? How can we become a part of this? Well, of course, it's there in verses 28 through to 30. Come to Jesus and find rest. Come to me, says Jesus, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And these are clearly very, very important verses. We need to make sure that we understand every part of them. So I put four questions on the sheet, on the service sheet and to help us get this as clearly as we possibly can. Here's the first question. Who, who exactly is Jesus addressing here? Well, you can see it in verse 28. Jesus is appealing to all you who are weary and burdened. We might ask, I guess, what kind of weary? What kind of burden? Is it uh, the kind of weariness I feel that I, when I get all the way here, Uh, to work and realise that I've left my laptop charger at home and I have to trudge all the way back again, which happens with a depressing frequency? Is it that kind of weariness? Or is it uh, the kind of overwhelming and crippling burden that our children feel when we tell them it's their turn to clear up after after a meal? Is it that kind of burden? That's quite interesting, isn't it? Jesus doesn't actually say here exactly. He's left it quite open, quite general. But we do know from earlier in Matthew's Gospel that these are people weighed down by the failure and sin of their nation. And we know that these were people weighed down by the failings of their leaders. 
uh, leaders who, far from dealing with their problems, uh, have burdened them yet more. But most of all, we do know that these are people weighed down by sin, both their personal rejection of God and the general consequence of that, which is to live under the shadow of death, from which comes all tiredness and weariness. It's that kind of weariness. That kind of burden actually encompasses any other kind of weariness and burden that you might be experiencing here this morning. So I do want to ask you this morning, could Jesus be addressing you? Is your reaction to what Jesus says here rather like the wise and learned of Jesus' day? You know, you're thinking to yourself, well, sounds good, but you know, it's not for me. I'm fine, thank you. Is it that kind of reaction? Or is it a different kind of reaction? Are you now ready to admit I am not at all fine. I am not at all fine. In other words, are you ready now to bring your vulnerability to Jesus? Which I guess takes us to the second question. Well, what, what things, what should you then do? What three things should those weary and humble do? Well, let's look through. Verse 28, of course, Jesus says, come to me. We've already begun to see why Jesus says this. He is the way to God. He is the way to the revelation of God and the truth, to a relationship with God as Father. But we still might be asking, well, what does it actually look like to do that? Uh, Well, Jesus helps us here. He adds two more things. Verse 29, two more things in explanation. Uh, Firstly, take my yoke upon you. And then secondly, learn from me. So first, take my yoke upon you, says Jesus. Uh, a yoke is uh, what you would use to, uh, a beam you might put a, 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 across two animals or an animal to, so they can carry a load or, or to do something like pull a plow, for example. Uh, and it was a word that at the time it came to be used figuratively of people. So you, it was common to talk about that the yoke of slavery, the burden of slavery, for example. So Jesus does say, uh, if you come to me, it's not that you're not going to have no burden. There will be some burden. Uh, it'll be lighter, a light burden, as we'll see in a moment. But there will be some burden. Now you might be thinking at this point, well, it doesn't seem such, such a good deal after all. But it is what we would expect, isn't it? After all, that's in some ways is what's been holding us back. Coming to Jesus means identifying with him. It means sharing in some of the hatred and derision that he experienced. It means some suffering, in other words, alongside the joy of knowing him as we follow him. Take my yoke upon you, says Jesus. Coming to Jesus also means, as you can see, uh, going back to school. Learn from me, says Jesus. It means listening carefully to what he teaches and doing what he says. That also is quite demanding, isn't it? It's demanding in terms of mental effort, but it also may hurt as we go through the painful changes in behavior that need to come from learning from Jesus. On the, on the upside, on the other side, um, as, I, as I was hinting at earlier, this is how to become really wise and learned rather than just having the appearance of being wise and learned. What are the other positives here? 
Well, this is the third question. Why else should those who are weary and burdened do this and come to Jesus? Well, let me, as we finish, just point out a few extra things. And look first at how Jesus approaches us with this call. Verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. In other words, Jesus is quite like any other leader who might call us into action. He's not like one of those leaders who might order us to do something from a distance. He approaches us gently, with a humble heart. He gets alongside us in our pain. He empathizes with our condition. Uh, He takes on the kind of humility that he expects from us in response. What's more, he's not like other leaders who delight in placing unreasonable burdens on us. Verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These things are very attractive, aren't they, about the way that Jesus approaches us with this call. But most of all, I want you to see what it is precisely that Jesus is promising to those who come to him. What Jesus offers those who are weary and burdened is rest. It's there twice in these verses. Verse 28, I will give you rest. Verse 29, you will find rest for your souls. So remember remember the problem here. We're, we're, We're perhaps holding back because of the pressure around us from coming to Jesus. And yet we know that we need this we know that we're tired and burdened, struggling under the, under the shadow of death. So listen to what's on offer here. This is what humanity struggling under the shadow of death really needs in the end. This is what the, all the great promises of the Bible point to. This is what each one of us needs. Rest, rest from anxiety and grief and suffering and frustration and sin and guilt. Rest to enjoy life as it was always meant to be. Enjoying God and enjoying one another forever. So then, in conclusion, what are the weary and burdened exchanging for what? What is Jesus calling us to exchange one for the other? Well, in short, it's a heavy burden. In fact, an impossible burden for a lighter one, a manageable one. Now, it may not look that way to start with. That's the problem. It may look like, to begin with, like exchanging, you know, the broad approval of society for rejection. It may look like exchanging a quiet life for an awkward one. It may look like exchanging acceptance for mockery. But it is the truth that is exchanging a heavy burden, an impossible burden, for a light burden, a manageable burden, Our burdens in this life are greater than we can possibly bear on our own. Most of us, if we stop to think about it, are fantastically weary. But Jesus is offering relief from that. He is offering rest and rescue. And that, in the end, is what Jesus is doing with this invitation. He's leading his people out from that kind of burdensome oppression We should be trying to pick up the scale of what's going on here. It should remind us of other parts of the Bible, remind us perhaps of Moses leading God's people out of the weary burdens of slavery in Egypt. 
has that kind of scale to it. And in fact, the language here picks up on that. Moses, you see, used these words. He asked God, teach me your ways. And God said this. He said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So Jesus here is fulfilling all of that and saying to us, don't hold back. Don't learn from those who are ignorant of the truth. Learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I'd like to think uh, if I found myself in that experiment I told you about at the beginning. I I do sincerely hope I, I would have the strength of character to go against the group and give the answer which is clearly right. There's the line which is longest, and I would say that line is the longest. I hope, in other words, I'd be in the 25% of people who would do that. I hope you would too. But more importantly, much, much more importantly, I do hope that and pray that we will all get this particular decision here in Matthew chapter 11 right. There is this pressure all around us to conform to a culture that has rejected Jesus and his message and refuses to listen to his call and to dismiss him out of hand but there is a good reason why they are rejecting him. And the truth is clearly here before us. And we just need to recognise it and go for it. So may God give us all the courage to ignore that pressure and do what is clearly, clearly right. And even this morning, if we haven't done so yet, to come in from the cold and dark, if you like, from that twilight zone between the the, the darkness of living under the shadow of death uh, to the light of Jesus, the light of knowing him forever. And uh, I suppose even if we've done this already, to keep doing this every day, to listen and respond every day to these words from Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, I do, especially this morning, want to pray for those of us here who are perhaps in that twilight zone, still holding back uh, from responding to Jesus' call, still slightly unsure about it. I pray that they would hear this call very clear this morning. They would be able to cast out of their minds the, the pressures of the culture around us which has rejected Jesus and hear him speak personally to them this morning. Come to me. Lord, may this be the moment where they do come to him. And for all of us, I pray that we would keep coming back to the Lord Jesus. Keep with him. Uh, The burdens are there. But compared to the burdens of death and misery and guilt and sin, they are as but nothing. So write that truth in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.